Hey, it's Low Profile, I'm Mark Lee Morrison, and this is the fifth installment of highlights from this year's Schirler Sundays concert and interview series. Today's show was recorded on July 16th, 2023, behind the Carnegie Library in Olympia, Washington, and features performances from the San Diego band The Gift Machine and Hot Rush, plus Joshua James Amberson reads from his latest book, Staring Contest. The Gift Machine is returning to low profile after being featured way back on episode 7 in 2019. Their latest album is called Consolation Prize. This episode was engineered by Kefa Crow, documented by Andrew Ebright, mixed and edited by Rose Nielsen, and supported by you on patreon.com slash lowprofile. Plus, in-kind support from Olympia's Old School Pizzeria, Rainy Day Records, San Francisco Street Bakery, and Three Magnets Brewing Company. And uh, without further ado, it's the gift machine. Give it up, y'all. Thank you. Here we go. Okay, two, three. Oh, 
tour in the Pacific Northwest for the last eight days. This is our seventh show. I can tell the practice. Then we're done. <laughs> I'm so stoked. We just played in Anacortes yesterday. It was beautiful. Uh, then, Shipwreck then Day Fest. Lake been swimming. all over the place. Yeah. Very It's good to be back home. I'm, I'm from here. I live in California now. I'm a greener.
Thank you so much, The Gift Machine. Thank you, sir. Uh, it's, been, it's been a minute since I've seen you up this way. Yeah, we haven't been back up here since 2019. 2019. I think, well, we played in Anacortes Acoustic, like, in 2021, I think, yeah. two years ago. Yeah, yeah. So exactly two years ago, yesterday, yeah. Yeah. But it's a little different. We had a band last yeah. time we were up here, five-piece band, but... Guitar player moved to Portland during the pandemic, and bass player, she had a baby. Had a baby. She was going to come with us, but we all kind of came to our senses about a baby, you know. On the road. In a car I was with ready. four people. Yeah. I have an empty nest, so it's some, <laughs> something to have a baby in the car. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yours are just recently grown up and... Mm-hmm. Out of there. Out of there, yeah. Yep. So, <laughs> still a lot more time for rock and roll now? Yeah. 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 Is that uh, is that cathartic? Yes, I'm is loving that... it, loving it. There's yeah. a lot of time for rock and roll and other things. There, uh-huh. There's a big lot of things. This world opens up. Yeah, traveling and all kinds of things. Like yeah. anything you really want to do at whatever time, you want to do it. So that's probably the best thing. Yeah. 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 I, 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 I mean, can you even ima- you can't imagine yet? <laughs> no, it's not close for you. No, it's yeah. not. Uh, I I can't. I can't see that far no. into the future. <laughs> yeah. But uh, <laughs> it's good, good to know. And uh, you working on some, uh, some movies and stuff, Dave? Yeah, I've been uh, video editing for a long time. I have some uh, good documentaries coming up in the, in the music world, but I can't really talk about it. I told you some stuff that I'm not supposed to say, but uh-huh. it's some good stuff. Good uh, New York 60s, 70s documentary that hasn't been done on some cool bands. So I'm pretty excited. It's kind of like my dream gig. Still in the photography business, yep. I see. Yep. Yeah. I shoot people for a living. Yeah. <laughs> and then for fun, it's, it's film and alternative process. That's what the shirts are. So that's my fun. Excellent. All right. Speaking of process, the new record. Yes, sir. Can you tell me all about it? All about it? No, yeah. well, a lot of the record was recorded with the band that I was mentioning, and, and it was kind of my fantasy to always just... Uh, record like not be so like we're going to record now and everybody gets nervous kind of like a neil young thing he just records everything uh-huh. and that's why he gets those great performances because recording is just part of performing you know yeah and so we just recorded our practice for like four or five months and we got a lot of good takes that way that were just really organic like 
cool interplay of band, you know. Uh, yeah. And then the pandemic hit. Then right, I kept writing right. more songs, and I didn't want to put the record out during that. So there was a lot of stuff that was recorded during the pandemic, but we tried to match the feeling of the like more live recordings, and it's kind of hard to tell what's what. That's cool. what we were going for. So, okay, um, so it's a mixed bag. Yeah, it came out nicely. Excellent. It sounds like more like there's more stuff going on than two of us making a bunch of racket. It's like a band. Nice. You know. Yeah, it, it, it's a lot. It sounds like people got together and played some music. Yeah. And, uh, and in fact, that's what's happening. That's what's <laughs> happening. Uh, so this is how many albums now for, for the gift machine? Proper? Hey, you're going to have to ask, answer that. I don't, probably nine or so. Nine. Something like that. You don't challenge that? No. I, I came around no, in 2006, be, so there was some before might be that. Eight. I don't even There's know. Some, it might be eight yeah. and an EP, I think. Maybe, maybe it's nine. I don't remember. I quit counting. Mm -hmm. Oh, come on. It's not that many. <laughs> we did like 37 albums last year. They call me, you know, Pollard Jr. You know, no, I, I mean, you blink. I you, miss it, you know? Yeah. Um, what, why did you go to Evergreen? What was that all about? I went to Evergreen. I really wanted to get into... Um, so I was young and idealistic, and I wanted to find the truth of the world. And I was into science. I was good at like science and math, but creative too. Mm -hmm. And so... I went to Matter in Motion, and I was thinking, like, oh, I'm going to learn how the world works. I wanted to get into kind of, like, plant medicine genetic stuff, like, because I get so irritated when they're, like, you know, the pharmaceutical companies spend all this money researching plants and then change one chemical and say the plant stuff doesn't work. You know, I just wanted to... Anyway, but studying science at Evergreen and <laughs> doing seminar, I'm like, the truth is this, like, fluttering bird, especially in the sciences, you know? It's like, it's changing all the time, and it's like... I. Realized I didn't want to be a scientist, but I did learn how to learn at Evergreen. So I always say That's that. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I had a great experience. And you know how to be a scientist if you want to. Right. Troubleshooting comes in yeah. handy. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Well, I mean, speaking of which, there's there's a science down to a, you've got your music down to a science. It you, you consistently keep sounding like the gift machine. It's. It's comfort music. Well, thank you. To, I feel like... Was, wasn't it comforting to hear some, some of that, that sonic blanket that you guys bring? Well, thank you. On a, on a hot day, even. Yeah. We're it, like your, still your a blanket. Uh, musical nourishing nervine. Yeah. <laughs> Goals. I mean, that's my goal, anyway. Well, I, I want to thank you guys for making it all the way up here and thank you for having us yeah, thank you so much can you tell me about your uh, your your northwest jollies you've been getting it's on, been a, on your visit it's been really amazing it makes me incredibly homesick like there's something about playing music up here the crowds everyone's just so nice well we love you very much thank you for coming and I, thank you for having us i hope it's not another what four plus years no we, we have the we bug have again so. yeah we'll uh We'll hold you in our hearts until that day. Aww. Thank you. All right, well. Thank you. Thank you so Thanks much. The gift machine, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In just a few minutes, we'll have Joshua James Amberson up to read from his book, Staring Contest. Thanks, Barkley. Really appreciate you asking Thank me to come you. up. Um, 
It's been a really been doing some book and book like events. Um, I'm doing a book tour, which is just like doing a couple events a month for a series of months. It's not really a hitting a road kind of thing, and it's been feeling really great. And it's, yeah, I've I've been wanting. I used to live in Olympia for 11 years, and I've been watching these Shirley Sundays the past two years and really wanting to come up. So it was really nice to have an excuse. Uh, I'll be reading from this book, as he mentioned, Staring Contest, Essays About Eyes, came out in May on Perfect Day Publishing. And um, it's an essay collection about, uh, if we're sighted, how we use our eyes or how we relate to our eyes in various different ways. There's a memoir thread in it about having an eye condition and having vision loss at certain points in my life. But there's also a lot of just thinking broadly about how, how we see the world and different ways. And so I'm going to read just a really short part of an essay about um, photography. And it was, it was, I, I know uh, Gift Machine got us started on the photography thread about shooting people for a living, which, which is actually, some of that is in this essay. I won't be reading that section, but I, I thought that was kind of neat that you know, and and it's also really nice to play with or you know, read with Gift Machine because I actually played some in some bands. I played shows with Gift Machine in the late aughts, so it feels like a really fun throwback. You know, and um, yeah, um, anything else you need to know here? Let's see. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna drop us into kind of the middle of the essay and. Uh, basically, I'm, I'm in a high school getting into darkroom photography. I think that's what you need to know. And really in love with the, the street photographer, the Ameri especially uh, American street photographers or, or f street photographers photographing America, like um, the Swiss photographer Robert Frank in his book, The Americans. Um, so I, w I had a lot of passion and not a lot of talent. So th I think that's what you need to know going in here. My least favorite English teacher doubled as the photography teacher. He liked talking about how if we practiced hard enough, we could one day work at the portrait studio in the mall. Even if I had a different teacher, there would have remained so many things about the class I didn't like. The way we all crowded into the dark room together, everyone watching over your shoulder, the fact that we had to stay after school to get anything significant done. But my biggest issues with photography occurred outside the classroom and the darkroom. As a shy, overly polite teen, it was difficult for me to point a camera at someone's face, even when my subject was aware of what I was doing and was willing to participate. I'd imagine photography would be a way for me to reveal my view of the world to the world, but I hadn't thought about what that revelation entailed. It wasn't as simple as it looked in Frank's photos. The casualness and apparent ease turned out to be an illusion. So I opted to take pictures of coffee mug handles and train rails, stacks of bricks and chair shadows. Even then, I had to deal with other people. Each time I took a picture in public, there was someone asking what I was doing while I was doing it. I told myself that these people just couldn't imagine the ordinary transformed. The truth was that I didn't want to admit the obvious. Taking a picture of a cup will make anyone look like a fool, regardless of their inner vision. 
filmmaker Vim Vendors says that he is, quote, in search of a new word for this new activity that looks so much like photography, but isn't photography anymore. In the age of latte roses, mere selfies and screenshots, I understand Wender's argument. There is something different, something other about the current manner in which people visually document the world. It borrows aspects from art photography, advertising photography, photojournalism, and point-and-shoot casualness, while not quite being any of those things. But photography has always encompassed so many styles that Vendor's statement also seems silly, snobbish. Photography has always resisted being any one thing, resisted being an art, resisted being something that can be universally held in high regard. Making any broad statement about photography is bound to come up short because photography is so much. Photography is Sears portraits, gallery art, journalism, and porn. It's a mountain range at sunrise, an abstract pattern on the, body of a sur on the surface of a body of water, a small rodent approaching extinction, a wool sweater on a handsome model. It's bacteria in a, on a petri dish, bodies at a crime scene, stars forming in the Eagle, Eagle Nebula. It's framed portraits on the mantle, old life magazine special issues at the thrift store, dusty albums on the bookshelf, the headshots of aspiring actors, Instagram feeds, Facebook profiles, press photos. It's weddings, graduations, and the first day of school. It's disposable cameras, point-and-shoots, XLRs, Polaroids, medium and large formats, but now mostly phones. It honors, it exploits, it educates us, it turns us on and turns us off. Photography evades us, Roland Barth writes. We might say that photography is unclassifiable. In community college, I did a series, of 24, a series in 24-hour grocery stores late at night, photographing my stoned friends examining fruit. I shot from the hip at checkout lines, parked myself at the automatic doors, and tried to embrace the endless rows of overbearing fluorescence. As if doing a project in the least ideal, ide least ideal lighting conditions wasn't already challenging enough, I decided to expose the images with transparency overlays where, in my childish scrawl, I scratched in lines of poetry I'd written. The result looked like an accident, barely legible words existing without explanation at the bottom of each print. I liked it, had put a lot of thought and time into it, but to most people, it was more or less unintelligible. I should have started with something simpler, something straightforward, but I couldn't allow myself to be a beginner. I had too many ideas for that. I did a photo series of my friend in his garage, hood up on his car, shop light playing off the metal, contrasted against the surrounding darkness. I spent the entire session underneath, hidden, looking up through the gaps between the blocks and the hoses. This was where I was most comfortable, with one other person in a private location, the subject at ease, doing something they loved. During these years, Walker Evans' words were a mantra I prominently displayed in my journal. Stare, pry, listen, eavesdrop, die knowing something, you are not here long. His encouragement inspired me to be brave, to put myself out there without worrying how others responded. Deep down, though, I didn't want to pry or stare, didn't want to make people uncomfortable. I wanted to soothe, to calm, to assist in helping another person lower their guard. But here was the problem. As far as I was concerned, 
Artists didn't work like this. This was the train of yearbook and wedding photographers. Necessary roles, sure, but never imbued with the importance and romance of art. I tried to ignore the fact that my skills were likely more suited to the mall portrait studio than the art world. I tried to push myself out of my comfort zone, but every time I picked up a camera, I questioned who I was. I'll stop there, thanks. Mark Lee's going to come up, ask me some questions. So you've been in the zine world for as long as I've known you. Yeah. And probably longer. Probably longer, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me about how you got into that? Like, what was your, what was your first exposure that you remember? Well, I got into zines in the, the mid-90s. I was in middle school and living in Snohomish, Washington outside of Snohomish in the rural area and didn't have a lot of connection to art scenes or anything like that. And, uh, but my mom had a subscription to Spin Magazine. Uh -huh. And at that time, they reviewed zines. And they just had a, rev a, you know, a title, a review, and then um, somebody's home address Right. And, and an amount of money that that zine cost. So I didn't really understand what zines were when I read my first zine review, but I um, sent, you know, $2 in an envelope to a random address and got a zine back, and I was hooked. You know, it was, it was a way to, um, you know, access these, these art scenes from out in the sticks, you know? And, yeah. Um, yeah. and that's... I've never... I've never forgotten that or taken that for granted. And so I, I still think, you know, even as I've been in kind of more bookish worlds at the same time, I'm, I'll never stop making zines because there's a potential in zines that books just don't have, nothing else has. It's, it's kind of a special medium. And, uh, you know, so I'll always be that 13-year-old that in, the, in the country ordering scenes through the mail and um, some part of me deep inside will always be that so yeah were you uh, sort of a curator before that like what when did that sort of thing i i should clarify you ran a distro for a long time here in olympia called yeah. miss valerie park yeah and that uh then that sort of transitioned into antiquated yeah. Antiquated future, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, around the time I moved, which is uh, 10, 11 years ago, yeah, we changed our name to Antiquated Future. Also a label and uh, Guiden Bear that plays next week is on the label and uh, some other great Olympia artists. And so there's still a strong, and a lot of the zines we carry, or you know, at least some of the zines we carry are from Olympia, writers and artists and zinesters and so uh you know i try to even though i don't make it up as much as i used to it's a, i feel like antiquated future still is a, has a strong kind of connection to olympia at least i hope so yeah it's got yeah. a limb it's got a limb attached yeah. to olympia yeah it's kind of like a creature and yeah this olympia is one of its many limbs so um, I, I wanted to, I, I haven't finished it all the way yet, but How to Forget Almost Everything 
is the first novel. Yeah, it came out uh, last fall. Yeah, it's yeah like a coming of age around the financial crisis and uh, kind of figuring out how to move forward with someone in your family whose mind is changing. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's a heavy concept. It's it's a YA novel, technically. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I um, guess a protagonist is a YA. Yeah, yeah. Protagonist is a YA. But um, it's it's beautifully written, and I was wondering, oh, like, what what the process was for that particular story, and how how you kind of landed on that, went yeah. with it. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of, a, I mean, I guess different than a often work um, and and maybe because I were I do more nonfiction writing than fiction writing um, but that book started about eight years ago and it was just through a free write the the first person narrator just started you know it just happened and I didn't plan on writing a novel at that point I didn't plan on uh, let alone writing a YA novel, but I felt like I had to follow the voice. And um, and I did that for a number of years and then kind of put it in the proverbial drawer and was like, oh, it probably will never see the light of day. And um, interestingly, one of the few people that read that draft uh, started a press um, just a couple years ago. And reached out to me and say, hey, do you still have that novel? Um, I, th I think we should, we should work on it. And we've got a really great editor. And let's, let's just do this. And so, you know, I mean, no, that never happens to a writer. You know, we usually have to beg people to publish our stuff. And so I felt like I was... I'd, I'd really felt like I'd let go of that book and I was like, oh, okay, I learned some things from it. I learned how to, to, to work in the long form with that. And that's, that's okay, I can accept that. It can live in the drawer forever. But then the fact that somebody had reached out to me and said, you know, that should be in the world, I felt like I couldn't say no to that. You know, that, that didn't... Seem I like following signs, you know, and <laughs> just like I mean, it's not the most like uh, cryptic of signs. Someone just saying that, you know, we should publish this, but um, but just yeah, I, I was like, well, that's a, that's an opportunity, and that's in, interesting, and maybe working with these editors, it can become the thing that it could I, they could help me take it to the place that I was neighbor, never able to go with it on my own. And I felt like they were able to. And so it was really, um, you know, sometimes there was, I was a little conflicted in there whether we should be doing this, you know. <laughs> I was like, maybe it should have stayed in the drawer. I kept having those kind of existential crises during the process. But um, Yeah, is it hard to let go of something and pass it on to an editor and just like... Yeah, yeah, I mean... There's a lot of back and forth, uh -huh. um, so it's a it's a dialogue. It's like a dialogue a, the whole this, time. How about that? Okay. Yeah, yeah. At least with all the editors I've worked with, and um, you know, I've done a lot of arts and culture writing book, b 
book reviews, music, journalism, and stuff like that. And sometimes you just hand it over to an editor and then they change what they're going to change and then it comes out in print and then you're like, well, I didn't really write that, you know, but, but, you know, it's close enough, I guess. And, um, but it hasn't been like that. It's not, I don't think usually like that in when working in a full book form. And, um, but yeah, it, it does change a lot in the process, and that's kind of a, um, you know, I don't always know what I think about the changes while they're being changed, you know, <laughs> and so I have to trust that when I look back at it months later or when it comes out in print that, okay, yeah, that was the right decision, so... And with Staring Contest, I mean, did you just sort of realize you had a lot of things about eyes written? Or is it... Yeah, well, maybe... It's different styles mm-hmm. throughout. And yeah. Different perspectives. Yeah. It, it was um, maybe... I say the book took about... It wasn't working on it straight through I took some breaks but about six years ago was when I was like okay I'm working on a book and this is what it is but um, about 10 years ago I wrote a one what I thought was a one-off essay about my eye condition and then I was like all right it's done I don't I never have to write about that again that's great it's off the table and then yeah it, it crept back in in ways and I had a few people kind of convinced me there was a book there. And at first, it was just, I had a, I didn't want to write, I didn't think it was a memoir. You know, there wasn't, um, it's, it was, it's like, it's been challenging to deal with the, the condition, but it hasn't been. What's the condition exactly? It's called PXC, and so this genetic condition uh, that is, affects all, all parts of your body is a cellular-based condition, but um, the retinas are um, an area that often, um, at least for, for some PXC patients, take the brunt of it. And um, so I started having retinal hemorrhages because of it in my 20s. And, um, and it's been a lot to figure out because, or it was a lot to figure out because the treatment for it was pretty new and it wasn't created for that condition. So, um, yeah. so there was, there is a memoir, like I mentioned, line or, or you know, narrative line in the book. But if it was just that, I would find it really boring for myself as as a writer. And so, when some friends were like, "I think there's a book here." I was like, there's not a book here. You know, it's it's not a memoir. And they're like, "Well, start thinking thematically. Like, think about." What's, what are some eye and vision related things that you think about that maybe other people aren't thinking about all the time? And once, once I had someone say that to me, I was like, I just had 20 ideas. You know, I was like, oh yeah, I could write an essay about that and an essay about that. And it, and it just, I was convinced as soon as I was stopped thinking people were telling me to write a memoir and were telling me to write something, you know, more expansive and a little weird, you know, <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, I can, do, yeah, I can do that. So, um, yeah, it was, it was really, um, it was, yeah, I learned a lot in the process and 
one of, yeah, one of my favorite Portland presses, Perfect Day, picked it up. Um, and they just do really good work and are really dedicated. And, you know, um, so I, I kind of felt like I was in good hands. And it, would, and it transformed, and I was okay with all of its transformations because I was just, um, yeah, felt like I found the people who who knew what it needed to be or what it needed to look like in its final form. Yeah. Friends making up the, the advice panel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. writers got to write. You got <laughs> something going on? Something in your pocket right now? Something that I'm working on? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as soon as I... Because for the past, you know... Um, this last year has made me look much more prolific than I am because I had these two books come out within five months of each other. And, yeah, you better um, step on it. Yeah, so it really looked like I was, um, you know, you know, not people see that and they don't <laughs> realize that those were many years in the process. And uh, but. Yeah, the past couple years I've just been editing these. For, you know, I've been writing other things here and there for zines and whatnot, but um, mostly just editing these two books. And when I handed in this manuscript, or when it finally went to print and I could no longer change anything, I just had a couple ideas right away. And I was like, oh, you know, it, it, they weren't there before, but then as soon as the space was there for them, I was like, okay. All right, yeah, so I've, I've got a, um, a novel that I've been slowly poking away at and um, set in the 90s in Everett, Washington. And yeah, and uh, I'm thinking, I'm toying around with a music book idea, so we'll oh, see. cool. Yeah. You still playing some, some tunes on your own time? I took a... A break. I don't. I don't write songs anymore or anything like that. But um, so, some writer friends in Portland um, about a year ago asked me if I wanted to play bass in a band, and I was like, oh, I haven't played music for a long time. And um, but it's. I've actually been having a blast, and uh, we just recorded our first EP, and it'll probably come out on Antiquated Future later this year. We're called Golden Tiles. Killer. Yeah. I can't wait to hear it. Thanks. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming all the way up here. Oh, thanks for the invite, Mark. I really, yeah. really appreciate it. And for, uh, for people who want to explore more, where can we find your catalog, your, all your work? Uh, I've, well, uh, I have a writer's website, which is just com, and okay. most of my things, even when they come out with other presses, I'll still distro them through Antiquated Future. So you can find, I think, anything that's in print on Antiquated Future. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. Well, lots of love. Oh, thanks so thank much. Thank you so much. Joshua James Amberson, everybody. And we've got Hot Rush coming up in three, two,
Ambition. So why did you start Hot Rush? Um, what was I well, mean, he, he had a band well, in high school called Collateral, and I was their biggest fan. Uh huh. And there's no media of them available ever, except a video on YouTube that I we put up a week ago. Oh really? Uh, he was the drummer. We found and, old uh, old high eight tapes. Yeah, old uh-huh. high eight tapes. And so uh, their guitarist moved away, so they ceased to be a band. And so I was like, "Hey, Kenny, you want to start a band with me?" And he's like, "Yeah, I guess." And so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 20 we, years ago. We played for about a year with just the two of us, like uh-huh. this, but both of us on guitar. Whoa, and then, and then yeah. we found a drummer and a bass player, and then we're doing that for a few years, and they moved, and then we found some more people, and more people moved, and then we found some more people, and just kind of cycles now. We've and, been the core yeah. the whole time, though, yeah. Yeah, we, this is our first two-piece show in a long time, but we, our guitar thing didn't work that we were trying. It was supposed to sound like a bass and a guitar uh-huh. separately, but... I tried rewiring it the other day, and I'm not good at that, so I, I failed. There's a lot of science going on here. Yeah, yeah it's just wires and uh-huh. solder and electricity and stuff. But um, yeah. have you have you been on your daily hour with me before? Oh, hundreds of times today. Hundreds. Yeah, today too. Today. Yeah. Today. So you guys, your Most daily hour with me is Kenny's TV show where he he talks to people. Uh, yeah. I was just there. Before this, when then we came over yeah, here. We were there at uh, one thirty to two thirty, roughly. And forty-five to two forty-five. You've done this show since what year? Since uh, two thousand and ten. Ten. So, so whatever. Thirteen years. Time. And how many episodes? Like four thousand six hundred and some. Four six fifty-four, right? Yeah. Today, I think. Yeah. It was, okay, on your way to forty-seven hundred without any. Uh, days off? Did you? Yeah, have you, no, have you, no days off so far. You ever skipped one? Do you ever have to make it up? And do uh, it like no, the day later. I haven't. I've I've made it through all the days, even if I'm uh, not. We re-recorded when we toured too. Yeah. We harvested two tours. In 17 we took and the or took the program on the road. Yeah, we took the program on the road too with the band, and had to find electricity everywhere to do the show, and we did it in the car once. Uh-huh. Yeah. Have you ever had the band practice be a part of the show? No. Or are you separate entities? Yeah, it's the always... Band the band has never been on the show. It's always been separate, and we had a lot of bands on the show, but yeah. I never had my own band on the show. I used to run sound when they did uh, TCTV Fridays. Uh-huh. So we could never play, obviously. <laughs> Someday, if you want to get a substitute host so you can oh, have Hot Rush on yeah. as a guest, you know... That's, that's, a good, that, that's a good idea. We should do that. We could do it here, maybe, huh? Or, yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Right now? Yeah, well, is, we're, is this it? Is this it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is your daily hour with me. I'm your guest host today. Yeah. We're going to be talking for an hour, taking some phone calls. Who do you, let's listen to some voicemails. Hey, what do you eat for breakfast today? Oh, that's good. Um, <laughs> so you, your songs used to be a lot more, um, a lot more angry. A lot better? No, <laughs> no, no. I mean, well... Yeah. What's the What's the last time you guys came up with some new jams? Oh, we're always writing. A, oh, like, three weeks ago, about. Yeah, a couple okay. of these songs we had are like new. Three new some, songs on the set that we've never played before in front of people. Yeah, but I have been playing a um kind of constantly. The nylon string at home a Acoustic. lot. So uh, um, I think it's reflected in the new songs. <laughs> like, so I could play them on on that thing. Maybe they're uh, more less. Yelly. Yeah, but we, we've had a lot of lineup changes, and that has influenced the uh, sound, too. Yeah. So we still have, oh, like, sure. a metal guy. You can kind of tell who's in every album based on 
uh, yeah. what it sounds like. We, we had, had like a, a metal bass player for a while, so then we're sounding more metally. And then that was I the think first, there was like a first album, and then we had the guy's a, last name was actually Hendrix. Wasn't just was Jesse like Hendrix? Is it Hendrix? Herrings. Herrings. Oh, it's almost Hendrix, and we sounded kind of like sixties-ish. He's a that blue, bluesy guitar player. He was yeah. on the album Eleven. Yeah, Hendrix adjacent. Yeah, yeah. like in the, in the phone book. I it's saw the same, same, uh, same letters. Well, I can't wait to hear the new Hot Rush album. Yeah, we're uh, and it's gonna be. We're, we're always we're working gonna, on the next yeah, one. We're, we're gonna we're figuring it out for these next two shows we have. I scheduled. hope it doesn't have too many curse words on it, like the last one. Yeah, we got that one had not many curse it, words. There's a, a good amount of curse words. I I <laughs> I mumbled through some of them today for the kids. Oh um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just got to reinforce that. Yeah. yeah. My, uh, no, it's okay. You can say whatever you want. My kid hangs out and watches us practice often when we as we practice during his nap time because we have an electronic drum set that we practice on. Ooh, oh. that that probably if maybe that made us mellower too. Yeah. Jeremy has kids now. Yeah, my kid. Yeah. But he'll he'll come down and practice and hear us swearing and doing all that. But yeah, I was yeah. telling that you you can only swear in the uh, in the music room, nowhere else. Your yeah. daily hour with me is on every night on Channel Twenty Two at uh, what I want to say. It's at eleven thirty and two a.m. on really TCTV late. Channel Twenty Two. Yeah. Is this on TCTV as well? I think we, this show is on. Either, Either right before or after. Yeah. Right? Yeah, chances are this is going to be sandwiched right yeah. in there. So if you're watching so. this, maybe you just watched the other show or you're going to. Yeah, yeah. It's the, it's, it's the Kenny Ward power double hour. Power two hours? Yeah, yeah. yeah there you go. Um, let's give it up for Hot Rush, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for hanging and chatting and playing yeah, and rocking and Thank rolling. Thank you for having us here. Yeah, yeah. Y'all know Kicking Giant? Yes. They're yeah. going to be here next week with Anna Oxygen and Gaiden Bear. It's going to be fantastic. You've been listening to Low Profile. I'm Mark Lee Morrison, and we just heard interviews and performances from Hot Rush, Joshua James Amberson, and The Gift Machine. You can find links to more of their work on this episode's website at lowprofilepodcast.com, where you can also find a full archive of previous episodes. Next time, we'll be back with live sets from Kicking Giant, Guidon Bear, and Anna Oxygen, plus a roundtable discussion with all those folks. Bless up, y'all.